following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, what's interesting is, as you look at the context of this, it's, imp- it's very important to see this story as Luke places it in a series of stories that have led up to this. Uh, it's really easy to read these stories in the gospel, and, and in, in many ways they stand alone. They have points and make a point that's, that stand on their own two feet. But it makes a lot more sense when you see them as they fit into the stories that lead up to them. Uh, so let's uh, back up a little bit and read the verses prior to this and review a little bit what we looked at uh, the last couple Sundays. Uh, starting in verse 22, it says, One day... Uh, no, sorry, we already read that part. Um, verse 18, uh, Jesus said uh, to the crowd, Take care then how you hear. For to one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Then his mothers and his brothers came, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Uh, And if you remember, we spent two weeks looking at uh, Jesus teaching about the the role of the word and, uh, and faith. And specifically that Jesus wasn't just saying all these nice truths so that they would have something to go home and cross stitch and hang on their wall as nifty plaques or to make cool posters, right? That the point is Jesus wanted them to be practicing, to be living out in obedience all that he was teaching. And uh, Luke uses the word, word, the word of God, to expand beyond even just what Jesus taught. But it, Jesus is the culmination of all that Scripture teaches. And that it's not just nice things, it's not just uh, to give us good theology, although it should do that. But it's theology that we should, should be put into practice in our everyday life. So that's the context and there's uh, the promise at the end of the, the parable of the sower and the soil that if we do that, that we will be fruitful, that our life will produce a great harvest. And I think for a lot of people, there's the, the hope that if we're fruitful and if our life is produce, producing a great harvest for God's kingdom, that that means life will be always smooth sailing, Right? And we get this idea that, you know, if I serve God, if I, if I follow him, if I'm obedient, God's going to take away all the problems and he's going to make life easy for me. Right? Does that work for anybody yet? <laughs> right? Not working for me all the time. And oftentimes when we, when we hit storms, when our life is assailed by troubles and problems and storms, um, the, the first thing we may think is that somehow I have messed up. Right? God is somehow judging me. Because I missed some little instruction somewhere along the way. And even though I'm trying to do it right, I I must have overlooked something. And so God's zapping me because I'm really not being a doer of the word. And that could be true. Um, God can use those things to redirect us when we're not really walking in obedience. But but it's clear here that that's not the case. In fact, it's quite clear that, 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 that they got here because they were following Christ. Uh, the story starts off with, Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Right? And so they got into the boat, and they did what Jesus said. 
And in fact, the reason they were even with Jesus in the first place is that they had committed themselves as, as followers of Christ. They were disciples. They had left their fishing nets and their careers and their jobs, and they had determined to follow Christ. And so it's really important to get the backdrop of this. Uh, they're sailing off across the Sea of Galilee in this fishing boat because they are in God's will, because they are diligent about putting into practice what Jesus has been teaching. But it doesn't always go so well. Um, um, they run into obstacles, and they hit storms, and they encounter problems. Uh, fruitful does not mean easy. Good soil does not guarantee a life of calm. Storms are part of life in this world. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a follower of Christ or not. Okay, the storms hit equally. Okay, storms don't come up to a boat and go, oh, I think that's, oh, those are disciples. You know, We'll go around them, right? Storms don't target sinners. Okay, problems don't follow bad people. Okay, it rains on the, the just and the unjust. It also floods on the just and the unjust. And just because you are a believer doesn't mean you are exempt from problems. Um, so uh, they're sailing out across the, uh, the lake, and uh, Jesus is taking a nap. I love this. Jesus is my kind of guy. He knows the value of a nap. All right, this is like this is the verse I'm going to cross stitch on my wall, right? Because <laughs> this is this is good stuff, right? Uh, it's, it shows that Jesus is human, right? That he's not invincible. He gets worn out. He gets tired, um, and and he lays down in the back of the boat and he falls asleep. And this is a serious sleep. I mean, the storm comes up and the boat is getting rocked and tossed and waves are crashing over into the boat. Jesus is out, right? He, he's, he's a serious nap taker, right? Go, Jesus. Um, so, so all this going on, it says they were, they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke Jesus, saying to him, Master, Master, we are perishing. The storm comes up quickly in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's described as a fierce wind. And the fierce wind uh, stirs up the sea and produces huge waves. And we don't know. I mean, actually, there are some, some models of uh, the kind of fishing boats uh, that, that they likely were in. Uh, they weren't tiny, but they, they weren't ginormous. Um, whatever the case, the waves were bigger than the boat. Uh, no matter how boat, big the boat was, the, the waves were bigger. And as the waves began to build, they started crashing over the boat and filling the boat full of water. And uh, the disciples start bailing for all their worth, but they cannot bail fast enough. And another wave hits, fills the boat further. A third wave hits, and they realize they are sinking, right? They are going under. Um, and they're out in the middle of the lake, and while it's not a huge lake, it's big enough that the prospects of swimming to shore would have been pretty slim. And they realize they're going down. And uh, their lives are at stake. Right? So this isn't just a little trial of an inconvenience. Okay? This is not just a matter of, well, it's going to take us a lot longer to get there than we thought. This is like, we're going to die. Right? And that's pretty much where they were. And they're panicking. These are experienced, some of them experienced fishermen who've lived on the Sea of Galilee their whole life. They spent countless days and hours and nights out on the sea. They know it well. And for these guys to get panicked and scared, it's a serious storm. And they see their boat sinking, and pretty soon, you know, the edge of the boat's pretty much flush with the top of the, the lake, and they're going, we're going down, right? We are in trouble. Um, 
So they, they do, uh, the only thing they know to do, they, they approach Jesus. It says literally that they draw near to him and they wake him up and they cry out, Master, Master, we are perishing. Right? We are dying. We are in serious trouble. Well, Jesus stirs, comes awake, sees the situation, and immediately it says that he speaks sharply to, he turns, he faces the storm, and he speaks sharply to it. He rebukes the wind and the wave, and instantly the wind dies down and the waves become calm. And just like that, it's over. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I just picture... You know, the storm raging, the wind just howling, this fierce, strong wind screaming at them. And the waves crashing over the boat, the disciples all kind of freaking out, uh, panicking, screaming, crying for their mother, I don't know, whatever they're doing. And all of a sudden, Jesus speaks to the wind and the storm, and it all dies, and everything becomes instantly just calm. Right? And I think it was a calm that roared louder than the wind. Right? As they just are like... Wow, wow. And uh, the water drops are dripping off the sails and off their wet beards. And it says, They were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Um, Jesus saves them. He brings calm in the midst of the storm. Right? Um, great story. Uh, and uh, obviously Luke intended it to mean more than just next time you're sailing, you know, you know you'll be okay. has great application in every part of our life because our lives are full of storms. Um, in the midst of all this, I left out one phrase that I want to go back to. After Jesus had rebuked the waves and everything had got calm and the Disciples are all standing there stunned and shocked. Jesus then turns to them and he says these simple words. He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Uh, Jesus expected them to respond much differently than they did. And that word is a rebuke. That their response to what was going on around them, their, their way of dealing with the storm... Was, was not impressive to Jesus, right? Uh, that, that he saw in their response a lack of faith. Now, what exactly did he expect them to do? Um, I'm not exactly sure. But, but at one level, Jesus did not expect them to freak out like this, right? He, 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 he said in that statement, he's saying, you know, your panic is not appropriate, right? Your fear is not appropriate because it's an evidence or witness of, of a lack in your faith. Uh, certainly, he expected them to have some confidence that as long as he was with them in the boat, they would not and really could not die. Right? Um, and, and, you know, we, we can look back at this, uh, at this whole scene from kind of a different perspective because we got the picture that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth uh, by God for the specific mission of, of dying on the cross, Right? And, and so we see them out in the middle of the Lake of Galilee. We're going, you know, there's no cross there. <laughs> um, there's nothing in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus dying by drowning, right? In the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't kill, the sacrificial, kill the sacrificial lamb by drowning it, right? Had that been the picture, we would go, okay, maybe this is it, right? 
But we see that the picture of the Messiah and his, his atoning sacrifice was different. Right? So we would go, this is not a problem because Jesus just can't die yet. It's kind of like, you know, when you're watching the movie and the hero of the movie is about to die, but you know he can't die yet because, you know, it's not, you still have an hour of movie left. If he died, you know, what would it be about, right? It's kind of the way it is here. It's like, well, the story's not over yet. We've got a lot of chapters before we get to the cross. So we know, you know, as long as Jesus is with them, they're okay. But they don't have that perspective, Right? And so they don't have faith. Um, now, Jesus certainly expected the storm to be dealt with in some way, but they should have come to him not with panic and fear, uh, not freaking out, but with, with faith and confidence that Jesus was the one who could take care of it. Um, now, this phrase, where is your faith, oftentimes we read it, um, in fact, all the commentaries I, I read, read it with this sense or meaning, uh, as in, where did you leave it? You know, like we, like we got in the boat, we, we went across the lake, and somehow you left your faith on the shore, right? Because you got out in the middle of the lake and you were without your faith. It's kind of like my dad used to say to me when I was a kid, where is your head, right? Right? Um, said it to me often, actually. Uh, and the idea was, you know, you're not thinking, obviously you forgot your brain somewhere, right? And uh, it was a very loving way to remind me to think. Um, but I don't really think that's the sense. It's partly what is meant here. I mean, obviously, they had a lack of faith. But really what Jesus is saying here is, I think, much more literal. I think he really is saying exactly that. Where is your faith? In the sense that, uh, where is the place that your faith is resting? Not that they forgot it. Not that they didn't bring it with them. Uh, I think he would say that they did. The problem is that their faith had been had landed in the wrong place. It was it was misplaced. Uh, and the and the truth is that I think their faith had been up to that point in their boat. Right? After all, they were fishermen, and there's something normal about that. You know, to get into a boat and cross a, a deep lake or ocean, you do need faith in the boat, right? And that's a normal thing. Um, and, and, and certainly they had, they had put their faith in their boat. They were fishermen at confidence. Jesus himself had got in the boat with confidence in its ability to get them across the lake. Um, Jesus says, where is your faith? In other words, what is it that you are putting your trust in to protect you and to keep you safe? And up to this point, I think Jesus is accusing them that their faith had totally and solely been in that boat, not in the Messiah who was in the boat. Um, And this comes to a point of serious application for us. Where do we put our faith? Now, the reality is that every human being living on planet Earth has faith, right? For most of us, for all of us, I don't think the issue is that we don't trust because we all couldn't live life without trusting. Uh, the problem is that we very easily can misplace our trust in the wrong things. Um, and some of it has to do with the way life works. Uh, I call this point planes, trains, and automobiles. Right? We, we live by trusting in planes, trains, and automobiles, and sometimes boats. Right? It's how life works. Every, to get here this morning, chances are most of us did not walk. Right? Um, 
Maybe if you did, you have faith issues. I don't know. But most of us get into our cars and we trust that when we turn that key, the car is going to start. We trust that when we push the gas and and put it in a forward gear, it's going to go forward, right? That somebody in the middle of the night did not rearrange our gear, so we put it in first gear, it goes in reverse, right? We trust those things, kind of blindly, actually. Um, And we, we trust vehicles and machines and airplanes and all these things to get us places. What's even more incredible, not only do we trust the machines themselves, I mean, we fly, it's pretty amazing. We get in this big metal contraption that weighs several tons, and we expect it to launch us into the air, right? I'd say, I'd say that's faith. And maybe some of you don't have as much faith as others. Maybe some of you have to take sedatives, you know, because faith isn't always there. What's even more incredible is that we actually trust the people who fly them, right? And, like, we don't even know these people. It's like, what, like were they out partying last night? Are they, like, like did they actually pass their exam? Did they, it was, like, mail order? How did they get it? Right? Um, and, and we trust these things to guide us, to protect us, to inform us, sustain us, and to save us. That's how life works, right? Um, it's like, like the guy, and, and I know you probably never had this happen, but you're driving down the road in your car, your big car, maybe your truck, right? And uh, the guy on the motorbike is coming from a side so and you see him coming, right? And he's coming, and he's not slowing down, and you know what he's going to do, right? He's going to give you that, I'm not looking at you look, Right? The old, I don't see you. And he's just going to blaze right out in front of you. Right? And he does. And you know it's coming. And thankfully you don't hit him because you know what he's going to do. Well, talk about faith. Right? That guy's living by faith. And he trusts his life to you. You should be honored. You should, <laughs> you should bless him as you go by going, wow, thank you for that trust. Right? That's what I do, I'm sure. Um, um, you know, we trust, we trust media, right? We, we trust the information that it gives us, that it's true and accurate, right? Everything on, posted on Facebook is true and factual, right? <laughs> it must be because people believe it. Um, I love those, I mean, you can look up hundreds of these myths that are going around on Facebook. Here's one of my favorites. Um, New Yorkers, uh, there's, a, there's a legend going around on the Internet, that, that New York is inhabited by huge man-eating crocodiles, right? People believe this. Well, it, it's been a fad among New Yorkers and others um, that, that those who had gone to Florida brought back alligators for their children to raise as pets, the legend goes. And uh, the infant gators eventually grew up and outlived their cuteness, so they flushed them down the toilet into the sewers where they grew into large, ginormous man-eating alligators of monumental size. And they've lived in the sewers under New York forever, uh, invisible to the human eye. And people actually believe this. Uh, the truth is that there was one documented capture of an eight-foot alligator at the bottom of, of uh, an East Harlem manhole in 1935, <laughs> right? So ever since then, you know, the, the sewers have been crawling with crocodiles, uh, and it was theory- and nobody, when they caught it, nobody believed that it actually lived down there. It was theorized that it fell off of a freighter coming from the Everglades and swam up the Harlem River and found its way at the, at the sewer where it was captured, right? Here's the facts. Reptiles are cold-blooded. They can't live in freezing climates. It's cold in New York, right? 
There's no, there's no alligator that would think this is an ideal habitat. They would either die or leave. Second fact, if the cold didn't kill them, the polluted sewage would. Right? People believe this stuff, right? We, we take this information. We trust in the experts to tell us how to eat and how to, how to take care of ourselves and what medicine to take and what's healthy and who to vote for and how to think and what decisions to make, right? We, we rely on experts. Uh, we trust their opinions and advice, even though they all get paid by someone who happens to be selling the product they're researching, right? Um, and they can never agree with each other, right? But we trust them anyway, right? We live by faith. See, we have faith, and we exercise it in many different ways. I think in our day and age, we have come to have great faith and confidence in science. Uh, And certainly, there have been many great discoveries and advances that have enhanced our life and that are good, right? They are good. And and the the medical advances and advances in health and technology, uh, we trust in those things, And, and, and we should. Uh, at the same time, um, science can explain, I mean, here's the limits of our faith. Science can explain in great detail how the machine works, but it has no clue what the point of it is. Right? Okay. Science cannot explain why the world exists or why you exist. They can explain how you live, but they can't tell you, they don't have a clue about why you live. Imagine taking your car to a mechanic. Your car needs repair. You take it into a mechanic. He takes it all apart. He explains to you how everything works, how this does that and this does that, and he finds the problem with your car, and he tells you what you need to do to fix it, and he recommends the repair. You say, okay, that sounds good. And as he's repairing it, he turns to you and says to you, so what does this contraption actually do? (laughs) How much confidence would you have in him? Well, that's exactly what we we, we do with science. Right? We put huge confidence in people who can't tell us what it does. Right? Um, you can go on down the list. Right. We trust these things. And we trust them to some extent because we have to, because life would not work without these things. Um, and, and we would not function if we didn't have faith in these things. And just like Jesus, uh, at some point you've got to get into the boat. Uh, you've got to use these systems and devices and machines um, otherwise, we would be paranoid people who just live in our closets, right? Um, but the problem, of course, is this. Um, there's, there's, a, there's storms that would swamp the boats, right? Um, what happens when the things that we trust in fail us? Um, and that's exactly what happened as the disciples are going out across the lake. They had put their faith in the boat. They got out in the middle of it, and the storm came up that was bigger than the boat, and the boat failed. Right? And so at that point, what do you trust in? What do we do when we encounter a storm bigger than our boat can handle? Well, in, in, in Jesus' day, their options were very limited. And they had this view of, of the world and of the universe that it was untamable, and they were very much at its mercy. And that's what really drove idolatry in their day, right? And they would offer offerings to the idols to appease the gods that were behind these cosmic forces of nature. Now, of course, the disciples and Jews wouldn't have, uh, but that was the temptation for the Jews throughout the Old Testament. So what do we do? 
Well, we don't offer sacrifices to idols, but this is what we do in the modern age. We build bigger boats, better boats, right? Uh, If this boat is not going to keep us through the storm, we'll find a bigger boat. We'll find a better boat. We'll find a better equipped boat. Um, You know, I wonder if if, uh, Jesus had been living out this scene today, and he was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and his disciples were with him, and he said to them, let's get in the boat and go across the sea to the other side. I wonder who would have, like, taken out their cell phone and checked the weather app. He said, oh, Jesus, there's a storm coming up in about half an hour. We better not go, right? Or somebody else would have said, Jesus, this ship doesn't have a lifeboat and no life jackets. We can't sail on this. It's not safe, right? Or perhaps another would chime in and say, hey, I just saw a Facebook post on this boat manufacturer, and 10 of its ships have sunk in the last six months right here on the Sea of Galilee. I don't think we should get on this boat. And Jesus is standing there with everybody shaking their heads going, well, what do we do, right? That's the world we live in, right? We live in a world where um, our faith is, is, is not only in the boat, it's in a bigger and better boat with radar, weather instruments, and life jackets. Right? Really, our faith is in our ability to avoid all the storms in the first place. Right? How many of us live our life with this goal, honestly? That our goal in life is to make sure we never encounter storms that would sink us. We arrange and carefully construct our lives to be storm-free. We build better boats like this. We build the medicine boat. The medicine boat is the doctors and drugs and treatment plans uh, that prevent many diseases. We take vaccinations. Uh, to prevent diseases. We eat vitamins, and, and we know about diet that can prevent many diseases. And what we can't prevent, we trust doctors to cure. Uh, there's the financial security boat, right? This boat means we, we can't do anything unless there's a guarantee of stable, secure income. Or, in missions lingo, you have to raise 100% support, right? That's what that means, right? Being translated. Um, And then on top of that, we have financial plans to weather every storm. Health insurance, homeowner's insurance, disaster insurance, car insurance, liability insurance, life insurance. We insure everything right? Uh, because we're going to make sure we can weather every storm. Uh, We have retirement plans and and pension funds right? so that when we're too old to do this, we don't have to do anything and we still get paid for it, which is an idea I love a lot. Right? There's the technology boat. Uh, we develop early warning systems and earthquake uh, warning systems and tsunami warnings and, and weather and tornado and hurricane and cars with airbags, right? All well, this technology. So that we never have to encounter a storm. How's that working for everybody, right? Well, it works pretty well a lot of the time. But here's the reality. No matter how good the boat is, no matter how big and advanced and how equipped, for every Titanic ship, there's a Titanic iceberg, right? No matter how good it is, there is something that can sink it. And that's the reality. Uh, And it's not that God, I mean, I think God kind of gets, I think God enjoys this. (laughs) 
uh, to some extent. It's like, yeah, you think you think your ship's good? Watch this, right? Now, I, don't, I don't think God's cruel out there trying to just sink all of our ships because he gets a kick out of it, right? But the reality is, how stupid are we, right? That we think we can control the forces of the universe and contain them in a box that makes everything safe, right? And I think God says, really? <laughs> You know, you have no idea the forces you are dealing with, right? The scale and scope of the universe I have created. And I haven't created it just to destroy you, but it is destructive. And it can hurt you, right? And, and uh, ultimately, you cannot control it. You cannot, you cannot do risk management to make life absolutely free of danger or threat. And the point Jesus is making here is that you need to trust something greater than the storm because you can't always manage it. And that's what Jesus is trying to challenge the disciples. Where is your faith? Um, You need to trust the one who is greater than the storm. And ultimately, of course, Jesus is, is, is demonstrating that he is worthy of our faith. Demonstrating the disciples that he is worthy, that he has power and authority greater than the storms, any of the storms that we will ever encounter or face. They marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands winds and water and they obey him? Who is this? Well, part of the reason they didn't have their faith in the right place is that they hadn't actually answered that question yet. Okay, and the the reality is you can't put your faith in Jesus until you've answered that question. For them, Jesus was still quite human. He was not yet the God-man. They didn't yet understand what it meant for him to be the incarnation from God, who was fully God, fully human, who had equal uh, power and authority to God himself. But this just upped the bar a whole lot. It's like, whoa, Jesus just did what only God can do. Because nobody else can do this. Nobody just speaks to the wind and says, hey, quit, and it stops, right? Nobody says to the waves, ah, enough. And they go still and flat. God alone can do that. And and Jesus has a power and authority uh, over every force in the universe. And they marveled. Uh, Do we have a sense of awe and wonder at the power of Christ over, over nature, over the forces of the universe, over the problems that we face? I think the reality is that oftentimes we, like the disciples, have a Jesus that in theory is fully God, fully human, but in reality is mostly human. And we picture that Jesus is somehow bound to the laws of nature like we are. And that he can only operate uh, according to the limits and restrictions of the physical universe. Um, Now, of course, mostly that is how God operates, but God's never limited to that, right? He doesn't have to solve the problems in your life only through natural means. He's above and beyond it. He's a God who uh, commands awe and wonder because he is above and over all of those forces and powers. Um, Therefore, our faith should be in him. So so the deal is this. We need to make sure we have... uh, Well, the second thing. So, So we need to trust Jesus. Secondly... We need to make sure that it's Jesus that got you into this mess. Okay? All right? 
What I mean by that is this. They were out in the middle of that storm because they were following Jesus. Now, can you get into storms without following Jesus? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Probably a lot more. And when you get into those storms, does it mean Jesus won't help you? Well, if you confess and repent, if you call out to him in his grace, yes, he will. But it's a lot harder. And there are a lot less guarantees about how, how God will work it out. But the picture here is of a person who got there because they were on a mission called and directed to go by God. So here's the deal. They're out on that boat on mission with God. They are with Christ. They got into that situation because Jesus directed them there. If that's the case, do you really have a lot to worry about? Not really, right? If, if God sent you to Thailand, if he called you to a certain mission or ministry, he called you to certain people, and you get there, and, and it looks not so good, do you really have to worry about it? I don't think so. You know, God's not going to say to you, I want you to go to a foreign country and serve me there. And you get there, and he says, oh, by the way, you know, I, I'm broke. <laughs> I can't really help you out with the whole money thing. You know, you're kind of on your own. God's not going to do that, right? He will take care of you if he has commissioned and sent you. It's his promise. It's his absolute promise, right? So we can trust him regardless of the circumstances if we know he has called us. So are you listening for his voice? Right? Are, are we moving forward because we have a clear sense that God called us, that God sent us on the mission we're at? And we're in this mess because he got us here. Right? It's a lot harder to have confidence when we know we're in this mess because I got us here. Right? Vitally important, we hear his voice. Thirdly, obviously you need to make sure that Jesus is in the boat with you. Right? As long as Jesus is in the boat, you're safe. That's the principle here. So what does that look like? Well, there are those who would say, our trust in all these objects is, is sinful, and therefore the, the goal is to des- destroy the boats, right? Like if we really trust Jesus, we need to go out and whack all of our boats and burn them, right? Um, for example, um, well, let's, let's take the medicine boat, right? Um, there are those who would say we should never go to doctors or use drugs, that if you do that, you're not trusting God, um, and in another extreme, there are those who would only use medicine and re- resort to Jesus only as a last desperate call when everything else has failed. Right? And I would say that both of those are extremes that are misguided, that are missing the point. Jesus used boats, and he trusted them. Right? Uh, he, didn't, he didn't say, you guys take the boat, I'm going to walk on water because I don't trust boats. Right? He got in the boat. Right? He used the boat. Uh, but he, did, he used those things as tools, not as saviors. Right? His trust was in the boat, but his trust wasn't ultimately in the boat. Right? We should use the tools God's given us. Go to the doctor. If you're sick, go to the doctor. If he prescribes drugs, take the drugs. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's the boat, the tool that God has in his grace given us to use. He's given people brains to figure that out. Don't be an idiot and say, well... I don't, you know, I'm going to trust their, their gift, right? That's silly. But is Jesus riding with you in that, 
medicine boat, right? Is your trust not in the tool, but ultimately in Jesus to bring healing? I think a lot of times we, we go to the medicine cabinet, we go to the doctor, and we don't give a thought about where true healing comes from. We don't give, a, we don't give one, one speck of trust to the God who created us and who ultimately can heal us. And sadly, a lot of people, the first time they ever trust God to heal them is when they face something so terrible that all the treatments and all the medicine has failed. Right? Problem is then you have had no experience, you've had no track record of practicing faith. Right? Uh, the financial boat. Uh, does this mean we should cancel all our insurance policies, give away all our retirement funds, uh, and, you know, and tell our supporters to stop sending money? <laughs> Anybody brave enough to do that, right? I don't think so, right? We trust those tools, and they're okay to use, right? We can have insurance, uh, and, and it's oftentimes advisable. You can, you can save money, right? Uh, God doesn't say, be stupid, right? Plan ahead. Use wisdom. Use good financial tools and resources. But don't trust in those things alone. Don't trust in those things to be the things that sustain you. Hold them very loosely, knowing that God may ask you to give it away. Or financial calamity may come and God may take it away. We don't need to panic because our trust should be in Christ, not in those things. Um, do we only um, you know, do we only follow God if it's safe, right? If all of our conditions for service are met ahead of time, right? do we do we say to God, God, I would support you as long as I don't. I mean, I would serve you as long as I don't have to raise support. I've heard that one, right? Um, I'll serve you as long as the support level is at where I think it needs to be to make me comfortable and happy, right? The, the deal is this. If God has called you somewhere, you need to go, right? You need to go. Now, do you need to raise support and do all these things? Sure. But you need to go if you're convinced God's called you. You need to go in faith and obedience regardless of how those things meet your requirements, that's trusting him, right? That's trusting him above those things. Last thing, um, this is not easy, right? This is not easy. And the reason is because oftentimes Jesus is asleep in the boat, right? Um, as they're going across the lake, the calamity comes, and Jesus seems to be oblivious to their problem. He's sacked out. Anybody ever experienced that or felt that? You feel like you are dying, and you feel like Jesus has no clue what's going on in your life. Um, I felt that a lot, right? And I've wondered, not so much is Jesus able to take care of it, but is he even aware? Does he even care? Right? Does he have a heart to help me? Right? How do we deal with that? Well, the one thing that they did right is... When Jesus was asleep and they were going down, they drew near to him and they cried out to him. Right? They said, Jesus, Master, help. <laughs> right? um, that is an exercise of faith. Right? Maybe it wasn't enough faith, 
And maybe they did it in a state of panic instead of confidence. But their action um, produced the right result. Uh, one of the greatest things that we can do to exercise faith is to pray. Right? Prayer really is the active working out of our trust. It is consciously going before God and declaring that I don't have the solutions for this. My boat is inadequate, and I need Christ to come and meet and face the storm that I'm in the midst of, that he alone can solve it. Um, as we close, here's a couple of questions to just think through. Um, in your life, when storms hit, what boats do you default to? Right? What things do you default to uh, as an object of trust rather than Christ? Do you know what those are? Right? Are you aware of them? And are you ready to combat those, um, those things? Secondly, uh, would you say you are living by faith or are you taking steps in that direction? Uh, what are three specific ways you are trusting Jesus above and beyond those things? Right? What does that look like in your life? Lastly, um, what's something you could do or change in your life this week that would help you live more by faith? Maybe it's contemplating more uh, the power of, of Christ, as, as Grace shared that reading by Brendan Manning. Maybe you doubt his, his ability, and you need to contemplate and meditate on, on the stories of Jesus acting with power. Uh, maybe that's not so much an issue. Maybe it's, it's that you doubt that he really cares and loves you. I know for me, this is the change that had the greatest effect in me. I had to start daily contemplating God's love for me. Not his power, but his love to help me. Maybe it's a simple thing of just asking somebody to pray for you. Of uh, When you're in the storm, making it a conscious, deliberate effort to pray about it. Uh, when you're sick next time, take the aspirin, but before you do, pray. Ask someone to pray for healing. Right? Right? Exercise faith. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.